Welcome to the Access Church Podcast and our Sermon of the Week. Wherever you're joining us from, we hope that this message is an encouragement and a blessing to your life. Well, this morning, I, I, uh, I'll, I'll jump back into my teaching series next week. And you say, well, you said that last Sunday. Well, yeah, we'll get into it at some point next week. Um, but today, I want to talk to you from the book of Acts. If you have your Bibles, you can pull out your Bibles and turn to Acts chapter 16. And we're going to talk about the subject of praise in unusual places, praise and worship in unusual places. I read some research a while back and uh, kind of saved it, and I pulled it out this week as I was thinking about the subject of praise in unusual places. And it was a study done at Northwestern University where an individual studied and he interviewed and talked with a lot of Olympic uh, winners, people that had won the gold and the bronze and the silver medals. And I brought a medal today from our home. I was actually trying to think, like, I don't have any medals. I, I was not like one of those people growing up. But I had my Boy Scout outfit with the little patches, but I was like, that's just cheesy to bring. <laughs> Doesn't even count as like, you know. <laughs> I, I sewed some knots and I have a little, but Ashley has some, so that's good enough. So I brought a silver medal. Part of this research was they were interviewing people that had received in the Olympics the bronze medal, the gold medal, and the silver medal. And as the, the, they interviewed many of these individuals that had won the various medals, they found this conclusion, which was fascinating to me. They found that the bronze medalists in the Olympics were more happy and satisfied than the individuals that won the silver medal. As they interviewed many of these individuals over the years, that the people that received the bronze medal, as opposed to the silver medal, they were more happy and satisfied. And so they came up with this conclusion, based on these various interviews, that the silver medalists tended to focus on how close they came to winning the gold And they walked away consistently unsatisfied. And yet, as they studied the life and the interviews through the interviews of the bronze medalists, they tended to focus on how close they came to not winning a medal, that they were happy and satisfied that they placed within the Olympics. And that was fascinating as I thought about that, because I want you to see something that's about the human nature that you're going to see on the screen, that your focus shapes your reality. Your focus shapes your reality. One medalist walking away with a silver medal was simply focused on what he lacked or what he could not have achieved. That gold medal, it was like he walked away unsatisfied that he didn't grasp the gold. And yet the other medalist that from the earth's perspective we would say is like, you know, just barely made it, you know. He was thankful that he achieved something significant and walked away with a heart that was grateful. Now, I know that in life, how we feel isn't always determined by objective circumstances. If that were the case, then the silver medalists would be more happy and satisfied than the bronze medals. So how we feel isn't determined by our objective circumstances. 
But I believe how we feel is determined by our subjective focus. And I want to get into this in a minute as we talk about praise in unusual places. It has to do with our internal attitudes that can be, if they're, they're to be more important than the external circumstances that we're facing. Now, I'm sure in life you uh, have met this kind of person, right? You've met the positive person, right? They just always have something positive to say, right? They're just always appreciative. They're always thankful. They're always grateful. They just seem like the, you know, everything's going well as you talk to them. They just have a positive attitude on life. And then there are the people that anytime you talk to them, it's like they have issues. And there's always problems and there's always challenges. And it's like these are the type of people that you, if you have five minutes, you're trying to kind of maybe steer in a different direction because you know if you just say hello to them it's like how's life you know they could have received a ten thousand dollar surprise check in the mail and they'll talk about the fifty dollar extra bill that they can't pay you know there's just nothing positive in life and i'm sure you uh have met these two different types of people and if you if you've never met that type of person then i hate to ruin your sunday there's a strong possibility that like you're that person okay so (laughs) Right? So there's two different types of people in life. And we tend to see in life what we're, what we're looking for. I've noticed in ministry over the years and growing up in church that complainers are typically not worshipers. And worshipers are typically not complainers. People that are complainers, I mean, they just always have things going on, they always find something that they have an issue with in their own life, but worshipers, they just can always find something, even in the midst of difficult circumstances, to thank and to praise God for. Praise in unusual places. I believe that a worshiper, someone that praises God, is someone that makes a predecision to look for something to praise God in, even in difficult times in life. And that's what I want to talk to you about. Acts chapter 16. The context of Acts chapter 16, Paul and Silas are in Philippi. They're in prison. You can take time and read the whole chapter later today. They had just come to town. They had cast a demon out of a fortune teller. In essence, they're simply doing what Jesus had told them to do. He had told them to set the captives free. And so they're doing that which Jesus had encouraged and told them to do. So they cast the demon out of this fortune teller, right? And yet her master, her boss, or her overseer, immediately, now that she's set free of this demonic spirit, realizes that his revenue that was generated from this woman telling fortunes is now gone in the moment because he was profiting off of her. So... The, the, the leader kind of creates an issue for Paul and Silas, and he, he has them arrested. Acts chapter 16, verse 22, reading from the screen, it says that the crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas. The magistrates ordered them to be stripped and to be beaten with rods. So they are physically uh, hurt, right? I know we have children in the room, so I'm trying to say this appropriately. They're physically hurt, right? But they're also humiliated publicly, if you read between the lines, right? They're severely beaten. They're thrown into prison. And the jailer was ordered to make sure 
that they didn't escape. So they just weren't kind of the everyday criminal. They were put in the inner dungeon. Their feet, their ankles, they were placed in stocks. And they were simply a bracelet that was used to kind of introduce a whole other level of consistent pain. And so they're in a very difficult spot emotionally, physically. I mean, it's hard to even really understand what they were going through. But I'm sure emotionally they were drained. Physically, they were in pain. Spiritually, they were spent. And it was almost like they had nothing left to give. Their backs are bleeding. They had just suffered a beating. They're probably ticked off to some degree, you would think. And the last time I checked, my life has never been threatened for doing the will of God, right? I've never had a mob formed against me. Um, Never even come close to anything like this. And yet this story is in the Bible so that 2,000 years later we can still learn from this. Look at what the, the Bible says that they didn't do. There's not a hint of them moaning. It's not a hint of them complaining. Not a hint of them whining or pointing their finger to God. Doesn't seem like they're giving up. They're not asking questions like, God, you just told me to do this. And like, this is what it, you know, there's just not a hint of any of that. But this text is marked by two activities, one of which I want to focus on in verse 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas, they were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening. Now, when we read this now, it's like, that's like, I get praying, singing, yeah, maybe I kind of get that, but in our context today, it would be like the last thing in the world I would submit to you that the average American Christian would think about if they were walking in their shoes. You're suffering, you're struggling, locked in a prison. And the thing that comes to mind is calling out to God in prayer and then singing. Like singing? There are three things that I want to share about you, uh, about you, about this text today. On the subject of praise in unusual places. The first is this. Praise is a choice independent of your circumstances. Here they are. These are the circumstances that they find themselves in, doing the right thing. And yet they make a decision to praise, and that is a choice that is independent of their circumstances. So you've got to zoom out and see all of the things they could have complained. I mean, it was like we were just being obedient, Jesus. Like, this is exactly what you told us to do. We're like on our missionary journey. We're on our assignment. And instead of you watching our back, the lacerations of the rods are on our back as we're publicly humiliated. I mean, they had what we would say are reasons to complain, and yet they made the choice to worship and to praise in spite of their external circumstances. Praise and worship to me is taking our eyes off of that which is seen. And it's just focusing on that which is unseen. You know, in life, there are a lot of things that we can focus on that are wrong in our circumstances. And I would submit to you at the same time, you can focus on so much 
that's right before God. You can't allow yourself to be a person that's driven by feelings, right? I mean, man, if you're a person that allows your life to be driven by feelings, here's what you'll miss spiritually. You will spiritually miss tapping into the reservoir of heaven that God has for you. You're either going to live by your feelings, you're going to live by faith. But if you choose to be a person that lives based on your feelings, you'll never tap into a supernatural spiritual reservoir, I believe, that's from heaven. And as you praise God, and as you worship God, he does for you at times what no man, no woman, no counselor, no advisor can ever do because it's supernatural. Praise is a decision that you and I have to make, right? And it's not based on our feelings. I mean, they're, they're tired, they're weary, they're exhausted, they're probably scared, but they determined that even in the midst of all of this, I will give God glory and trust that he in some way is in control of the situation. Here's what praise and worship does in the midst of difficulty. It restores your spiritual equilibrium. It helps you regain perspective. It enables you to consistently uh, be able to see and find things that are right to praise God, even at times where it seems like things are going wrong. Is it easy? No. Are you able to? Absolutely, yes. But I would submit to you that nothing at times is more difficult than praising God in the context of when things don't seem like they're going well. And I think it's in those moments that praise and worship can be some of the most purest forms of praising God because it's not based on the emotion of the moment or your feelings, but it's based on an understanding of the reality of the character of God. In the book of Psalms, David is running away from King Saul. Saul's out trying to kill him. He's running away into Philistine territory. He escapes from Saul. And, you know, David had remembered, he was, he was the one that had killed Goliath as a young boy and later had killed many Philistines in battle. And the Philistines considered David to be kind of their prime enemy. And so he's running into the country of Gath. And the servants of the king, they identify him, they recognize him, and they sought to bring him before the king. So he's in a very dangerous moment. The king could have killed him, so he pretended in essence to be a madman in front of the king. Basically, the king wrote him off as someone that was a, a kind of an insane. And David, this mighty warrior, is now hiding in enemy territory in what we would say is kind of a hopeless situation. He's brokenhearted. He's crushed in spirit. He's facing troubles. And it's kind of like the low point of his life. And then in, in Psalm 34, verse 1, he says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise will be on my lips. He says, I'll bless. This word means to kneel. In essence, it's reverential worship. Not, not kind of exuberant praise, but it's reverential 
worship. He, he's, he has this respect and gratitude to God that even in difficult situations and times, you can praise God in the, in, the, in the high points of life, but can you praise and can you worship even in the midst of difficult seasons? He says, at all times, the wording is seasons. He's saying, every season in my life, the positive and the negative, the joyful and the painful, the happy and the sad, I make a determination that I will be a person that can bless the Lord at all times. A Holocaust survivor was recorded by talking about his Nazi concentration camp experiences. He said as he came as a prisoner, everything was stripped away from him. His clothing, his pictures, his personal belongings. He said they even took my my name and they gave me a number. He said, I am 119 slash 104. He said, everything was stripped from me. And everything can be taken from a man, but one thing, the last of human freedoms, it's my attitude in any given circumstance. Paul and Silas in prison, they make this determination that praise is a choice independent of my circumstances. Secondly, praise is a testimony to a watching world. As they're praying and as they're worshiping, the Bible says that the other prisoners are listening to them. It's interesting to me that praise and worship actually is a captivating force. It's midnight in this particular area of the jail filled with hardened criminals. They're in kind of like a solitary confinement. And the Bible says the other individuals that are surrounding them their ears are in tune to what they're hearing. Could it be that praise and worship has the ability to capture the attention of even the hardest of hearts? The Bible says that everybody's listening to them. They're singing and they're praying. It says they're listening. The, the text, the original language, implies that they're listening intently. So it's more than just open ears. It's an ear in tune or listening intently to what they're hearing. And it's at midnight. They're hearing these two men's voices crying out to God in prayer. They hear these two men's voices worshiping God, and they're astonished by the example of faith, even in the midst of suffering. Even in the midst of suffering. You know, as I read that, it just is a reminder to me as a Christian that the world is watching, right? And they're certainly watching in the context of suffering. They're constantly watching in the midst of difficulty. They're watching to see what are you going to do when the pressure's on? What are you going to do when the microscope's on? I mean, if our faith is real, then it better work in a prison cell, right? A faith that can't be tested can't be trusted, right? So praise God all you want, worship God all you want, smile all you want, but it's in the moments of testing that all of a sudden the microscope of this world is looking and it says, is that genuine? Is it real? Because you can praise God on the mountains, but can you praise him in the valleys as well? So there's these ears, they're intrigued, they're they're interested, and I would submit to you they're interested and there's an openness to what they're hearing. 
And I think you and I need to be mindful of that as well. Because I wish I could say to you as a Christian, you know, at the second you pray the prayer of faith and you accept Jesus in your heart, everything goes well. and We're dancing on the clouds together. But that's not like this is real talk, right? I want to be a, like real. Things happen, right? You get a report from a doctor. You get the sucker punches of life. Are you able to praise God? Are you able to worship God even in the midst of those circumstances? Years ago, Mark Jordan's here. Years ago, Mark and I and some other leaders, we took teenagers to Jamaica, and we went to a place called the infirmary. The infirmary is kind of the outcast of society. So they take people that are diseased. They take people that are basically the outcasts that nobody wants in society, and they place them in these kind of outlying areas, and they live in these open buildings, kind of. They're dirty. They're diseased. They don't have much to offer when it comes to this world's kind of standpoint. And so we took teenagers there and we painted their fingernails and we put lotion on their hands and we just gave them Bibles and things like that. You ever have an experience in your life that makes like an impression that it's like for the rest of the days of my life, I'll always just like spiritually, you just capture that moment. And for me, one of those moments was at that infirmary because you look externally, there's nothing for them to praise God for, right? And yet a teenager pulls out a guitar and starts praising God and singing. And oh, how quickly those faces begin to smile. Oh, how quickly those hands begin to clap and to sing and to praise God in very difficult situations. Very difficult. I mean, they will be there until the end of their days and yet they have something to be grateful to God for it's very difficult to walk and to experience those things and then to walk away and say man I had a rough day I don't feel like praising God today right in America and yet God gives us those moments at times just as a reminder that even as it's a testimony to the watching world it can be a testimony to other Christians as well because for me, as I saw that and our teenagers saw it, it's just like there, there's nothing that I'm going to go through that I can't choose and make a decision in the midst to praise God. Number three, as the worship team comes, and then we'll spend some time in worship and, and, and praise today. Praise contains liberating power. Liberating power. You know, the Bible says as they prayed, as they praised that there was a violent earthquake that took place. The foundations of the prison were shaken. The doors flew open. The chains came loose. You say, well, that was an earthquake. I think it was more than an earthquake. To me, the essence of it was it was a faith quake. Why is this in the Bible? Is this a story about what to do when you're in prison? No, I don't think that's the point of it. I really, I really don't think that's the point of it. Like, this is your ticket out of physical jail. I think there's a spiritual component that we need to see. And that it is praise that contains liberating power. Because they made that decision to consistently praise. Not only was the demon-possessed girl set free, Paul and Silas are set free from injustice, 
the jailer, his family were set free from being hopeless without Christ. But there was an unlocking, there was a, a freedom that impacted not just them, but the others that are around. I don't know that when you came into church today and we started in praise and worship, as we spend time, that you actually saw that as something that was almost like a weapon. You know, Paul understood this. He would later write to the Corinthians in Philippi. He said, rejoice in the Lord always, 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 always. Because he had that moment. He understood that as I pray, as I praise, and as I worship, that it contains liberating powers. See, there's a radical response to worship. It's a decision of our will, no matter the circumstances. Here's the imagery that comes to mind, because it's not a get-out-of-jail-free story. To me, it represents that there are things that happen in life that it feels like the praise is being stripped off of your body like a garment. There are times in life that it feels like those rods are trying to beat the praise and the worship out of you. There are situations and there are circumstances that you find yourself in that at times it's like you're shackled to your experience. And yet the spiritual reality is the Bible's teaching us even today, 2,000 years ago, that there is nothing that can strip off our worship. You can't physically beat it out of a person. And I believe as a Christian, whatever you're chained to, even in the midst of the difficult situations in life, you can make a decision and say like David, I will bless the Lord at all times. I will find something to be grateful and thankful for. And God, would you help me shape my focus? God, keep my eyes on you. Your focus determines and shapes your reality. And so whatever it is here today that you came in here carrying, whatever challenge you're facing, whatever maybe at times you feels like a weight that's on you, I believe through God's grace you can make a decision. God, I'm going to choose to praise you. I'm going to focus on what's right with you. I'm going to choose to lift my hands and be thankful for your grace and your love. Last week I talked about God's grace. What is the grace of God? If it was an acronym, it would be grace. God's riches at Christ's expense. God's grace to you is the fact that he saw you outside of relationship with Christ, dead in sin. And he saw the possibility and the potential for you to be made right before God. But it was only going to come through a sinless and sacrificial life that was going to have to come to die on your behalf. And so he sent Jesus. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me, except through me. So if you haven't placed your faith in Christ, you, you can't praise and worship, right? 
you haven't received the riches of heaven, God's riches at Christ's expense, knowing that you're a child of God, knowing that your sins are forgiven, knowing that heaven will be your home, experiencing the just the wonderful new life in Christ. And if you haven't made that decision, today's your day to commit your life to Christ. It's not in trying harder to do things that are right, but it's in surrendering. It's in offering your life to Christ and saying, God, I, I know that I need forgiven. I know that you came and you lived and you died and you were raised to new life on my behalf. The Bible says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, if you believe in your heart that Christ, you know, that God rose him from the dead, that you will be saved. You can make that commitment today for the very first time, or maybe you're here and the Bible says like this. He says that you've lost your first love, that you've lost your first love, that at one point in time you were passionate for God, but it just seems like you've grown cold. Today's the day just to recommit your life and say, Jesus, I need you. I need to know that my sins are forgiven. And you recommit your life to Christ. And I would encourage you to do that as we stand together. Today what we're going to do is we're going to just take some time and praise the Lord. And worship the Lord. I want you to do it in a way that's comfortable. You want to sit down, sit down. You want to stand, you want to stand. You want to come to the front and praise God. You want to kneel by your seat and praise God. But I today will make a choice that I will bless the Lord at all times. His praises will continually, they'll be consistently upon my lips. They'll be the evidence, one of the evidences of my life is that I can worship in the good times, but I can equally take time in the difficulties of life and say, Jesus, nothing about you has changed. You're the same yesterday. You're the same today. You'll be the same tomorrow. You'll be the same 340 days from tomorrow. Jesus, nothing about you changes. So, Father, I pray that people would experience liberating power as we take time this morning in praise and worship. If you have a specific need, I would encourage you as we praise and worship just to lift your need up to the Lord. You don't even need someone to lay hands on you today and pray. I believe you can receive healing. I believe you can receive peace and comfort and strength and joy. The resources of heaven are available to you this morning. So would you just open up your heart and say, Lord, I'll bless you at all times. Even without music on the screen, just lift your hands to the Lord and thank him for all that he's done. He loves to just hear you talk to him. Don't allow your worship to be limited and contained to words on a screen. We have a deeper and more rooted perspective of worship than that. Thank you for joining us this week. If you would like to further connect with us, you can find us online at scaccesschurch.com or on any social media platform. Have a blessed week.